Welcome to the She is Awesome podcast, the home for women business owners filled with extraordinary stories, giggles, and thoughtful conversations, offering inspiring takeaways for your life and your business. Hello, my friend, it's Jay here. Today I'm with Emma Weiner, an awesome women entrepreneur whose mission is to help other women in business own the room with feminine energy and authenticity. Wow. And how does she do that? She does it by empowering their voice and communication. Traditionally, I could call her a voice coach, but you will understand from our discussion that she is much more than a voice coach. I want to say she's kind of like a gravitas magician or a confidence magician. What she does with her clients is mind-blowing and powerful, and she actually demonstrates it during our chat. Emma has had a gloriously squiggly career, as she says, starting in pharmaceutical sales, then training as a speech and language therapist. After a short and sweet affair with the NHS, she became operations director in a successful event business. And then she found her true passion and trained as voice coach at the prestigious Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. You know, I believe we all need to level up our speaking skills to raise our visibility and credibility at work, to amplify our ability to be heard and cultivate thought leadership in both the corporate and entrepreneurial worlds. So if you want to elevate your authority as an expert in your field, two things to do. One, continue to listen as Emma shares some amazing golden nuggets. Two, come to Elevate Her 2023 as Emma will be there to empower you whenever you pitch, you sell, you speak. Our end-of-the-year business celebration event, Elevate Her 2023 tickets are now on sale. What is Elevate Her 2023? Simple. It is a day dedicated to celebrating you as a woman business owner and help you elevate your business in 2023. Why this event is for you and why you must attend it. Because it is genuinely designed to break all the barriers that you might be facing next year as a woman business owner. Where and when? This will be held in central London on the 6th of December. The event starts at 9am and will last until 4.30pm. So full day, my sister. Your special VIP ticket will give you access to all the event and perks. What does that mean? Well, you will start your day with our signature yearly strategic planning workshop, Create Your Game Plan, where you will gain clarity and focus and take the steps to build momentum for 2023. This will lead into our networking lunch with inspirational speakers, networking games, and hundreds of opportunities to connect and build business relationships with like-minded women business owners. And last but not least, you will join our Christmas party where you will be celebrating being a woman, being a business owner, being with like-minded community of women in business. Now, commit to elevate your 2023 with hundreds of other women that day. 
As a listener of She's Awesome podcast, you will get 20% off any ticket. So jump in and make this happen. This is a special event organized by AWE and WIBN London, and tickets are limited. All the details are in the show notes. So grab your ticket now as there are limited spaces. Hi, Emma. Welcome to the She is Awesome podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. So without further ado, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thanks, Jalen. It's really nice to be here too. So I am a voice coach. I used to say for years, I used to say I'm a voice coach. And people say, oh, you teach singing. And it's like, no, I definitely don't <laughs> teach singing. Absolutely not. Do not come to me if you want to be a singer. Definitely the wrong woman. I help women speak really effectively for work. And that might be to get over a fear of speaking up at a meeting. It might be to become a really influential leader, or it might be to deliver a TED talk. So it's really across a very wide spectrum. But essentially, I do help women raise their visibility and their credibility at work through how they speak. And I love what you do. So tell me, tell me, how did you end up in there? Like, why voice coach? Because as far as I know, you are not from acting background. In general, voice coaches are acting background. Why did you end up here? How did you end up here? What did bring you into entrepreneurship? Uh, well, I had a very squiggly career and I used to be very embarrassed about it. You know, I had friends who grew up and wanted to be a doctor and became a doctor and friends who wanted to be a lawyer and became a lawyer. And, and I didn't do that. I had a very squiggly route to where I am now. So I trained originally as a speech and language therapist and I loved the work, really enjoyed it. I worked with kids with disfluency, but I didn't enjoy working in the NHS. And I say that very awkwardly because they're an amazing institution. My parents both worked in the NHS for their entire lives, but it wasn't for me. So I left and I joined a startup and it was very small, just six of us when I started, stayed for 10 years, became operations director. And at that stage, my job had really changed. And I was working with our clients to make sure that they were delivering the right kinds of messages in their conferences. And that meant I got to work with their speakers. And I absolutely loved it. Really, really enjoyed it. But it was about 25-ish years ago. And I didn't know about imposter syndrome back then, but I really suffered with it. Even though voice was part of my undergraduate degree and I understood how voices are made, I always felt like someone's about to come and tap me on the shoulder and go, I don't really know what you're talking about, do you? So when I had my children, I decided I didn't want to keep doing the travel. So I sold my shares in that company and I went to Central School of Speech and Drama and I did a master's degree in voice coaching and training. So when I came out, I realized, well, I've got this really deep scientific understanding of how voices are made. And I really understand how you engage an audience right from the get-go. And I've worked in the public and private sector. And I'd had personal experience of not really feeling super confident about my voice. So I thought, well, I'm not the only woman that feels like that. So I put all of that experience together. And that's how I came to the point of like, well, I can help other women feel really confident, really strong, raise their visibility and their credibility through how they speak at work. And that was it. That was how speaking at work and my business was born. Amazing. But tell me something that you said that I actually resonate and probably a lot of people who are listening to this will resonate. You know, yes, 25 years ago, we didn't talk about imposter syndrome or, you know, lack of self-belief. We were all suffering from it, but we didn't know what was going on. How did you kind of realize that it was that that was going on and took the control of it? Or did you? I did actually, I was doing an evening class. I went to, I was just like, I needed something to do. I needed to stretch my brain. I was doing an evening class. And one of the lecturers, this was about 
10, 15 years after that moment, one of the lecturers said something about imposter syndrome and she explained what it was. Somebody asked a question that she explained what it was. And I was like, that was, that was it. And it was like, it was like this amazing revelation. It's like, I'm not broken. I'm not crazy. It's like, that is exactly how I felt in those moments. I honestly felt like someone was about to tap me on the shoulder and go, you don't really know what you're talking about. Come on, let's go. Leave these poor people to them. To themselves. <laughs> and, and it was from then, it was like that really sparked an interest for me. It's like, oh my goodness, there are other people in the world who feel like this. And then I just started to research about it. I read about it. And then that was it. It was just kind of like, it made so much sense to me in that moment. And it was such a relief to realize that it was a global phenomenon. And we see it all the time. We see it everywhere in, in every aspect of women in business, of women in, in corporate world. It affects almost everything that we do, I would say. Yeah. And, you know, I would say by experience, not by training. Well, I have trained, of course, to present because I have been tr- presenting for like years and years. But by experience also, I kind of got rid of the stage fright. I have done drama, etc. But still, I can say that whenever I present, I would have that little imposter syndrome in my head. And if I didn't get rid of it, or if I say something wrong that I didn't want to say, or if I mess it up, and it starts to, you know, see deeper in my brain, so be it. It's just like, you actually mess it up even more. Yeah. Everything was going well. And then you turn into your brain and then you go like, shit, I forgot what I was supposed to say. Yeah. I mean, this is a really important thing. And a, and a really big part of my coaching is that everything that you think will leak out of your body, your breath, your voice, the words that you choose somehow or another. So if you are standing up to talk and, you know, you might feel okay to start with and then suddenly, you know, your inner critic goes, oh, you said the wrong word there that's not the grammatical way you say that, or that's, you should have said this thing and not that thing, then there starts to be this kind of noise in your head. And that then distracts you from the connection you might be creating with your audience. And as soon as you lose that connection, then you have to work that much harder to win them back. So for me, one of the big things when we're working with any kinds of client is we have to calm that noise that can happen in the brain. We we call it dialing down the inner critic. So we just want to turn the noise down I mean, I don't genuinely believe you ever get rid of your inner critic, especially if you're somebody who's always pushing those boundaries of your comfort zone. It should be there just a tiny bit, but we just need to quiet the noise on that. And we need to turn up the volume of our inner mentor. So that's our internal person, our internal woman who's been there, done it, got the T-shirt, is super wise, super calm, and knows exactly what we need to do at that moment. So it's turning the volume down on the inner critic and upping the support of the inner mentor in those moments for you to go, oh, yeah, I used the wrong word. Hey, carry on. It doesn't matter because it's only when we hang on to that, I used the wrong word, I said the wrong thing, or they're not interested, they're falling asleep, or they're looking at their phones or whatever we start to think, Mm. then that becomes a problem. So we just need to kind of turn the noise down and then let it go. Just like, it's fine because I'm here to share my knowledge, share my excitement, share my views, whatever it might be with these people. And they want to hear because they've asked me to be here. So that's your inner mental bit. That's your cheerleader going, come on, you you can do this. You know this stuff. They asked you for a reason. And you know, what you're saying is so relevant to anything in life, actually. It's like speaking is a part of whatever you do. Mm. But isn't it the same in business leading? Isn't it the same in motherhood? And isn't it like every single critical moment of your life, you go like, oh, do they like me? 
who the heck am I to be here and tell this about this, you know? And that's the ability to lower it down. And probably what I understand is in a speaking moment, it's intensified and, you know, you don't have the moment to go, it's fine. You need to be really quick on your feet and you need to be really in control of it so that you can actually act in a millisecond and continue giving your speech. Yeah. We're going to ask you your techniques a little bit in a moment. (laughs) yeah okay but you're absolutely right is that you know we talk about being present to your audience and presence is where your attention is split and it's split between you and your audience so 50% of your attention is on you so 50% of your attention is able to notice that inner critic and that that sense of not I mean what you're describing a moment ago was really a sense of not enoughness and that is so prevalent in women you know I'm not enough of a mother I'm not enough of a business owner I'm not enough of a social media maven whatever it might be you know we can have a big sense of not enoughness so being present you know is that ability to quiet that stuff down Mm -hmm. even in the moment up the inner mentor and kind of control your body language control where you're gesturing but the other part of your 50% of attention is on the audience are they listening? Are they engaged? Do I need to speed up? Do I need to slow down? And so if we can't be present to them because there's too much going on or too much of our attention is focused on us and not enough is focused on them, then we will lose them. And that's why it can feel very intense because not only is all our audience attention on us, but our attention is on us as well. So it feels like we're under a spotlight and that's why people can get this sort of sense of feeling really hot and flustered because it feels like all of the attention is focused on us. So one of the things I say to people, and it's just, it's a thought, and these thoughts are really important because as I said, everything you think will leak out of your body somehow or another, is to change that mentality from attention, like everybody's looking at me, to intention. So what is my intention with this audience? Mm. Do I want to excite them? Do I want to interest them? Do I want to make them feel safe and held? Do I want them to feel inspired? And once you focus that bit out and you think okay what's my intention with these people what would I like them to be feeling like when they leave this room suddenly that sense of everybody looking at you and it all being on you changes because your your energy your focus has gone in the opposite direction and that can really help some people this idea of I'm hosting this space and my intention for these people is I want them to feel really super safe and held and I hear them and I see them or whatever is relevant for your audience and the thing that you happen to be talking about That's so true. You know, they say they don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Yes. That's it. It's not what you say. It's what you make them feel, basically. And oh, my God, what you're saying is so great because it resonates with sales. It resonates with marketing. It resonates with everything in different parts of the business as well. And whenever you are in front of a client, in front of an investor, in front of anybody. It's not about you. It's about them. As long as you can make them feel more important than you, you probably achieved a big part of the thing. Yeah. I mean, it's all human beings want to be seen and heard, regardless of what the situation is. They just want to be seen. They want to be heard. So, you know, like you mentioned a sales situation here. And I had this happen to me recently. I was in the market for rebranding and I went out to a company. I went out to five companies, actually, and I sent them information. So they knew that I was in the market for buying. I was sending very strong buying signals. And I had one conversation with one company and they literally downloaded. We do this, we do that, we do the other. This is how we do it. 
And it, 15 minutes in, and they hadn't asked me a single question, not one question. And then they told me the price and then told me I could negotiate on that price. I mean, needless to say, I did not go with that company, but I didn't feel seen or heard because they weren't connecting with me. They were just telling me about themselves. So mm. absolutely right. In those situations, in a sales conversation, if we're selling, we need to be the ones who are asking really intelligent questions and listening and responding because you know, really good communication is a lot about listening and listening to what's being said, what's not being said. The mm. congruency between the tone of voice and the gesture, is, is this really the truth or do we need to get under here and dig around a little bit? You know, that sort of stuff is really, really important. And that's when the person that you're talking to is going to feel seen and heard and you're going to get great information and be able to respond really, really effectively. But if you're worried and concerned about, I'm going to have to talk about money in a minute and, or I'm going to have to talk about whatever it is about talking about your business that makes you feel uncomfortable. And that might be talking about yourself and your expertise. If that's the case, then that's going to come across and they're not going to feel seen and heard and they aren't going to feel like you're holding the space for them. And so Mm -hmm. it makes them cautious and they step back because they don't understand how to read all the messages because your tone of voice and your body language and the words you're saying don't all fit together. And that's really important. We need that congruency for it all to work. Yeah, that's so important. So you said something, of course, that also is the reason why you're here and I love your work as well, is you said you're focused on women, women entrepreneurs or women at work. Why it is important for women? What made you decide that you needed to give your gift to women? I think it's multi-level, but I think one of the really, really important things is this idea of enoughness. I think women more than men really struggle with a sense of enoughness. They like I said, don't feel enough of a business owner. Somehow the business isn't enough. It's not really a business or it's not big enough or it's not performing well enough. And that comes back to them. They feel like maybe they're splitting too much of their time between their business and parenthood and they're not enough of a parent. I don't feel the men that I've coached throughout my career, I don't have that sense from them in the same way. I don't feel like the same way. I also think the world is also set up at the moment to really benefit men. It's not set up in the same way to benefit women, as in our working days are structured for men because it assumes there's somebody at home picking up the children and all that sort of stuff. So I think women, we have more challenges than men do in getting our voices heard. And there's a biological element to this, deeper voices. So a man has a deeper voice because structurally his vocal tract is bigger and so that it creates a deeper sound. So deeper sounds to us are sounds of authority. Higher sounds are sounds of danger. So babies cry at quite a high pitch. People scream at a high pitch. Their sirens are high pitched. So we tend to associate higher pitches with issues and problems. Now, women, because their vocal tracts are smaller, naturally have a higher pitched voice. So we have a little bit of a biological disadvantage in, you know, we say we're going out, we're looking for investment you know, if a man is pitching the same idea, he looks and sounds more authoritative than we do simply because of the way that his throat is structured. So I feel that women need more. (laughs) Absolutely, it's totally unfair. But women need more support to come across as real experts in those moments because they are, but they don't quite believe or own their expertise. And then that comes across vocally, plus the biological disadvantage, plus the bias that investors have. I mean, 
you know, is it 97% of investment still goes to men, 3% to women, even when they're pitching the same products or services. You know, it's frustrating. But I genuinely believe that I can help women really establish themselves as experts in those spaces by the way they look, sound and feel. So that's why I wanted to focus in that area. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You just like dazzled me with this fact. And yeah, it is. It's true. And probably that idea of like nagging women voice, all that also does not help us. So let's say I have a high pitch voice and I do have a high pitch voice. And actually I'm, you know, shit hard good at what I do. How do I change my voice? Is there any way to train my voice to sound a bit more autotative? <laughs> I, do not, I am so glad you asked this question because I would never encourage anyone to change their voices. One of the driving factors in the things that we do is that it's all about your authentic voice. So it really needs to feel and sound like you. So pitch is not so important. It's whether the sound is embodied or not. So I'm going to try and demonstrate the difference between embodied and disembodied. Now, if we don't believe we're the expert or we're worried about stating our prices or we are feeling there's a big status differential between us and the person that we're talking to, either they're much more senior, they're much more authoritative, or they've been running their business for whatever many years, they're making you know millions of dollars, whatever it might be. If we feel there's a big status differential, there is a possibility that our voices become disembodied. So this is my normal voice. And this is a disembodied voice. So I don't know if you can hear now that my voice kind of sounds like it's coming out of my head. Yeah. So I now don't sound quite as expert as I did before because my voice is thinner, it's lighter, it's higher. I haven't changed the pitch. I'm just thinking about it coming out of my head. So it's like my energy's up in my body and I'm, I'm now talking here. So I sound a bit less expert. If I relax and let it drop back down into my body, I now sound more like an expert. So I've not deliberately changed the pitch. I just relaxed the energy in my body, allowed my voice to drop back down. And now I sound like the expert that I am. So um, it's really about how we feel about ourselves. So when I said at the beginning, you know, what we're thinking and feeling will come out in our voices, that's exactly what I mean. So it's not about changing your voice. It's not about, you know, like Margaret Thatcher did. She deliberately lowered her voice. It's really painful and it's very damaging to a voice to do that. But this is my authentic voice. So we all have an optimum pitch. That's where our voices sound the best they can possibly sound. Mm. Now, when we get excited, obviously our voices are going to go up because we're excited and that's absolutely fine. But if we're pitching or selling or, you know, we're doing social media, then we probably don't want to be up here. We probably <laughs> want to be more down here. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really important that we use our voices and we can deliberately change them to fit the scenario that we're in, but always to sound like ourselves. That's so powerful, Emma. Thank you so much. And yeah, like I can remember moments of me being in, not in my best day or whatever, and my voice and not being able to convince people all the arguments, the offer, everything was the same. Mm. And I can remember those moments where I get even more annoyed because there would be a tricky question where actually it hits my belief systems and then right away the voice rises right oh okay so my key takeaways from this is we don't need to change our actually we should not try to change our voice that's not the aim it's just that 
we need to find the voice that is authentic to us when we are also relaxed and confident, probably like the feeling of confidence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the way I, I would describe it to people. I say your authentic voice is the moment where you and your audience feel the most relaxed most comfortable because that's when your message has the chance of landing. So if you're not using your authentic voice, you could have the most gorgeously created script. You could have the best idea in the world. But if it sounds like it's coming from here, it's coming from this heightened energy space, this sort of disembodied place, you could have the best and most convincing argument, but it isn't going to land because your audience are going to be like, why is her energy so up? It feels like, you know, she's sort of shouting at this or there's a grippiness around the energy of it. You know, whereas if that brilliant idea is, you know, coming from your body, then it just feels so much more believable. And then that brilliant script, that brilliant idea, that brilliant whatever it might be, is much more likely to land. Now, it might be that the outcome isn't what you want. They might still say no, but they're saying no because they're saying no to the idea because mm. they're saying no to the way that it came across. And there's a big difference there because you can walk away from that scenario and go, okay, well, they didn't invest this time or they didn't say yes to this particular project because you know they need to do this or they need to do that. Not, I didn't do a great job and therefore they said no. And those two, you know, if you can walk away from those scenarios and feel like, well, I did my absolute best, that's a big difference to your confidence to go back in and do it again next time. Mm. right next time yeah and you know the other thing is like it's what you're saying is we are hardwired to it even in my relationship with my child the minute I am angry or you know impatient and raise my voice actually she hears me less Mm. and yes she will stop doing something because she was afraid but then as soon as I turn my back she will continue Whereas if I go to her level, I am calm and I tell her, you know, from what you say, and you're not seeing us guys, but basically every time that Emma is talking about the authentic voice, she is showing her chest. So it's kind of like coming from that body. Then, yes, I have much more impact, even with my husband. I need to work on that argument stuff. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, we just bring that energy just a little bit down. It's to do with status, because the minute we start to use this voice, our status lowers and the status of the other person rises up. Now, obviously, you know, parent-child relationship or husband-wife relationship or partner relationship, you know, we want to be always equalizing that status, Mm. especially if we're going into an investment situation and we're asking somebody for money, you know, the person with the money kind of naturally has a higher status so we want to be equalizing it and if we sound like we're owning our expertise if we sound like we're owning our brilliant idea then we're much more likely to equalize that status so you're right the moment we let our voices or our energy rise up in our body and our voices become disembodied we start to lose that status and then we start to lose the argument because it's not our authentic voice that's a, a heightened energy voice which is not it's not going to be powerful in that moment yeah so Tell me, okay, so I'm an entrepreneur and I say, right, Emma, I'm going to come to you because, you know, I keep presenting in front of clients, in front of audiences. I have a podcast or whatever. So I do speak a lot. How do you work with me? What are the kind of steps to take a person from the start of the journey to evolution, basically, of their capacities and skills? 
Yeah. Okay. Well, it depends on why they're coming to me. So usually people come for three different reasons. So one is the fear of speaking. So, you know, people start a business and they're like, oh, I've got to do social media. I need to do videos. I need to be out there. I need to be doing podcast interviews, you know, and then they're like, I don't like speaking. So that's tipping point number one. So some people generally come because they're scared of speaking and they know they need to do it. And they also know that they are more than that. They've got more to offer than that. So they come to me for that point. The second point is people who are good, but want to get better. It's like, you know, I can do this. I don't really love it, but I can do it and it's okay. And I'm all right at it, but I want to be better at it because I want to get promotion. I want to get more visibility. I want whatever it might be. And then there's people who come who are very good. They're like, right, I want to really want to raise my visibility now. I want to be doing a TED talk. I want to be out there. I want to be doing media interviews. I really need to be on my A game. So those are usually the three points that people come. The way that we work is very inside out. So, you know, I've had people come to me before, but I've done presentation skills training before. I hate presentation skills training as a, as a descriptor. I, it's not what I do. But anyway, they've had it and they come and it's, it didn't work. It's like, okay, so what did you do? And generally it's because they've been taught some skills or told what to do, but they've never started with a mindset. So the approach that we have is very inside out because as we've discussed at length today, you know, your mind and your body are linked. There's no way around it. So we have to have the mind on board for the body to work. So we have to start with clearing out the clutter. So what are all those beliefs, those wonky thinking systems that you have about yourself as a speaker, as an entrepreneur, as a mother, whatever it might be, that's feeding into the system to say you're not good enough to stand up and speak or share your expertise with people. So we've got to do all that sort of stuff first. And then we can start to build on we look at two things. What's already working? Because people often come to me and they'll say, oh, I'm terrible at speaking. And I say, right, have you got any evidence of this? Or is this how you feel? Mm. There's a big difference between someone saying, well, you really need to work on your pausing or you need to work on this. And you just feeling like you're not very good. So we work out what's already working. So, you know, what's your energy like? How do people really respond to you? How do you feel most confident? So we look at all the things that are technically happening that are already really, really good. And then we look at the things that we need to reduce or stop, because sometimes we need to stop doing some things. And then what skills do we need to build on top of that to get you to where you want to be? So it's a very kind of structured process. So starting with the mind, building on what's already good, stopping and taking away the things that are diminishing your credibility, then adding in new skills to make you even more credible as a process really helps people get from where they are to where they want to be. Does that make sense? Makes total sense. Yeah, definitely. And it feels like it's pretty personalized approach as well, because you need to understand the person and get into where they are. Because like I said, it's all about authenticity. So there's no point trying to make everybody look and sound the same because then they're not being authentic and it wouldn't work. It's, you know, you can't take that cookie cutter approach. And, and also, you know, there are amazing introverted speakers out there. I've met so many women over the years who say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm really shy. I'm very quiet. I'm very introverted. I'll never be a great speaker. And it's like, but there are millions of incredible introverted speakers out there. There are also amazing extroverted speakers out there and people who are ambi and in the middle and, and can do the introverted extroverted thing. You know, that shouldn't be a reason why you shouldn't be a great speaker. Because I, I genuinely believe that great speakers are made, they're not born. So they learn to become great speakers. And, you know, one of these sort of obvious examples I often refer to is Michelle Obama. So if you go back and you watch her, her first first lady speech, it's good. Right? It's competent. She's doing a really good job. It makes sense. She's coherent. It's, you know, obviously it's well scripted because she's got an amazing script writer. 
But if you look at how she does her last speech as First Lady, it's incredible. Her mastery of controlling the audience, of controlling the pace, of really embodying the things that she's talking about, it's just unbelievable. Now, she was good to start with, but she got to be brilliant. But her arc shows that you can improve, you can get better, you can do it if you put your mind to it and decide that's what you're going to do. But you don't need to be introverted or extroverted to be good at it. It's just a kind of, you just need to decide, right, I'm going to get this to be a, a skill in my life, just like riding a bike or baking a cake. You know, you can do those things, but it's just about practice. It's about doing it and putting your mind to it. Yeah. And, you know, I think actually the more you talk about it, more I think it should be almost taught in schools. Yes. Because what do you do in life to actually create connections with people? You speak. This is the only thing that we do to exist in society. We speak, you know, we listen to and we speak. And I believe in even listening to be a skill. Mm. It's not just like, oh, you know, we have two ears and no, we can hear. We don't know how to listen. Many of us don't know how to listen to. And actually, I believe that even though you are not doing a lot of speeches or presentations or TED Talks, you need to have at least a basic understanding of how to communicate effectively so that you get somewhere in life easily right? It should be actually in schools. Totally. At my daughter's old school, they used to have what they called public speaking week. And it literally used to make my head explode. And I went to the head teacher and said, you know, I totally appreciate what you're doing, but I don't think you should call it public speaking week because the kids speak all the time. And so you're now putting this pressure. So there's now this spotlight, like you're speaking in public, you're presenting and it should be just part of their everyday education. It's like, as you say, we talk all the time. I have so many people who say to me, oh, I don't need your training because I don't present for work. It's like, if you own your own business, you are absolutely presenting for your work the entire time. When you meet somebody on a bus, when you go to a networking session, when you are doing a sales call, when you are doing social media, you are speaking in public and you are presenting yourself. I mean, we all know this. All of your listeners will know this. People buy you well before they'll buy any product, any service, they need to know that they can get to like and know you because then they can trust you. And nobody is going to spend time, energy or money with you if they don't feel like they can trust you. And that all comes from how we communicate. That's so true. So true. And we all need to know this. I don't think that this is actually now you're opening my mind. And I think it's really important to highlight this year. It's not an optional thing. It's a must, especially if you're a business owner. I mean, you're going to speak to your team. If you don't have a team, you're going to speak to your support team, your VA. You know, you're going to speak at least to your customers. So, so important to master it. Yeah. You don't have to be an Michelle Obama. I understand what, like, you don't have to put that much of energy and, and time to get that good if you don't need it but you need at least the basics, right? As you said, as an example, I was working with an entrepreneur recently and she came to me because she said, everybody negotiates with me. I'm so, I don't understand why I can't have a sales conversation when people don't negotiate on the price. I'm like, okay, pitch me your product. And her 
thing happened to be £5,000. Her kind of basic package was £5,000. So she pitched me the product. It made sense. It was kind of coherent. I could understand. It was technical. It was a fintech thing. So I didn't totally understand everything, but that didn't matter. I understood enough. And then she said, you know, and it's £5,000. And I was like, ah, okay, here we go. So this is the reason why everyone negotiates with you. And what she hadn't realized was even though she'd come from a sort of a McKinsey style consultancy place where they used to charge hundreds of thousands for products, and she was now charging tens of thousands, she was asking for the money on behalf of her company now, not on the behalf of the company that she worked for. And she felt really uncomfortable about it. So she was saying 5,000 pounds and it was an upward swing. So it sounded like a question rather than it's 5,000 pounds. So can you hear the difference in tone? 5,000 pounds, 5,000 pounds. Yeah. And she was slightly using a, a sort of a gesture of opening her hands, which is a gesture of that's a question. And then that opens it to a negotiation. So because her mind was thinking, oh, can I really ask for that much money for me? Essentially, it wasn't for her. Obviously, it was for her product, her service, but it felt like she was asking for her and she was doubtful of it. It came across in the tone of her language. So Look, she's not doing massive presentations. She's chatting one-to-one with small business owners. And yet that was coming across in the way that she was asking for money. And that's why she was having to negotiate on every sales call. So it's a tiny thing, but it's a huge thing if you're a business owner. Yes. And, you know, I don't think that anybody who questioned her price was questioning her price in a conscious way. They didn't say, oh, this is open to question or whatever. But as you said before, we are hardwired to understand each other in a way that we feel the doubt. And then you just see your opportunity to say, well, it should not be 5,000. And like you're hardwired to parallel the thought process. That's so true. One of my sales coach once years ago had told me this. She said, you need to keep the same tone when you are pronouncing the price. When, you know, when you're presenting your product or whatever, you need to present the price as part of the technical parts of the product so that it doesn't become a thing. Yes. You know, she didn't mention this, but actually what you're saying really matches with what I had learned. Mm-hmm. And it really stuck with me. It's a, the price is not a different thing that we're saying from any other part of the product or service, basically. And we need to feel like that. Yeah. But of course, she thinks that Mackenzie or wherever she's coming from deserves hundreds and thousands of pounds and her little company doesn't and all that, as you said, seep through the pitch. Isn't it interesting? Wow. So a few more questions for you. As a woman, you have your own business as well. So you're a business owner, you're a woman, you're a mom. Where do you think that we fall short as women? And where does the system fail us in terms of, you know, getting up, standing up and shouting loud, we'll say? Yeah, I think it's definitely a double-edged sword, this one. The system fails us in, as I said, the structure of work. So if you work in a corporate space, you don't have the option to, you know, change the working day. It's getting better. We have more flexible working. We have working for home, but it's still very, very difficult for women to be a mother and work and do a good job at both and feel good about it. It's not that you can't do those things. It's about feeling good about it. And that's where it comes over to us. This is our bit. And I hate to think of any woman thinking that she's failing herself. I think 
education. I think the things that have been spoken about for years up until very recently in the entrepreneurial space, it's not been about supporting women's and women's mindsets and working with how they think about themselves and how they feel about themselves. So I think if we fall short, it's because we don't know what to do. We don't know how to support ourselves. And again, back to biology, we're hardwired to look at the danger, the shortfall, the gap, because that's what's going to keep us safe. So training ourselves to look at the gains. Look, I've already done this. I've already achieved that. Look how much I've done this week. Look how many social media videos I've made this week. Look how much engagement that social media video got. Look how confident I was in that sales call. We don't tend to focus on those things. We look at the, oh, I haven't done this yet. Oh, I did. I said the wrong word there. Or I should have said that one in that sales call. And I didn't. I said the other thing. We focus all the things we didn't do. And I think that's one of the things that can really, really trip us up because we're probably growing. We're probably getting better at all these things. But if we stay focused on the gap, we stay stuck in this sort of swirl of, oh, I'm not there yet, not there yet, not there yet. And then, as I said at the beginning, that not there yet element of thinking impacts on how we communicate and keeps us stuck in the not there yet. So I think if anything, if we're falling short anywhere, it's because we didn't know what to do and we're focused on the gap. We're not focused on the gain. But yeah, I think there's a lot in society that is still needs to change in terms of the emotional workload that women have to deal with, not just the practical, but the emotional, you know, I'm still the person in our family who buys all the family birthday presents, even though I'm the working parent and my husband is house husband, you know, he looks after our children and yet it's me buying presents for his family, which, you know, is as much my problem as it is his problem. But if it was the other way around. I know that wouldn't be the case. Yeah. No, system and I guess, you know, traditions and all those ways of living that has been ingrained in the society that when women were at home was easy to do. But now that women are no longer at home, it's it's overwhelming. That's definitely, I agree. And I love what you said, Emma, and I just want to really, again, highlight this. Where we fall short is when we actually do not see how much progress we have made and celebrate our achievements, already achievements and positive skills. So almost like being positive about ourselves. It actually gives me goosebumps because I do do it. I don't know if you do it, but I focus on what I haven't done, what I haven't achieved. Oh shit, I didn't get this done. I didn't do this. I didn't close that sale. And I beat myself up. And when I talk to my husband, he sees the world from totally different perspective. Like, you know, 90% of that week might be shit, but he will see the 10% that he has done good and talk about that. And it really rewires his brain as well. So I love what you're saying. And I personally will commit from now on to try to at least catch myself and be like, right, this is the year. Forget about it. What did you do good? Yes. And that's really good. One of the coaching questions I always ask my leadership clients whenever they've spoken, whenever they presented is like, what did you do well? And at the first, I'd say first six coaching sessions, almost certainly they will give me a list of all the things they've done wrong. And it'll be really, really long. And then I let them talk. And then when they've finished speaking, I say, what was the question? They're like, oh, no, you asked me what I did well. And it's just that gentle retraining to focus on the good bit, first of all. And now I don't want people to be Pollyanna about stuff because otherwise we stop growing. But rather than being 
focus on all the things that have gone wrong. It's much better to think about one thing you can do better next time. And I always say to people, what can you do even better next time? Not that you did it wrong. So we're not building from a place of lack, but we can do it even better. And so it's still focused on the more positive end, but it's focused on improving it as well. So it's really interesting how embodied that is as a practice in women. I mean, I think in humankind, but I think women particularly, you know, we are made to feel not enough through all kinds of advertising, all kinds of social media. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that can make you feel like you're just not in the way that you are. So we just need to just flip that switch and just gently retrain ourselves to look at the positive, look what we've achieved, and then focus on one thing we could do even better next week and try and do that one thing rather than the 20 things we think we ought to be doing better because then you're going to do none of them and then your growth is much slower. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. It, it was an amazing talk. I, I wish we could speak hours and hours. I love this talk, but we're coming towards the end. I have a few more questions for you. The first one is, I'm going to put all the details, how people can connect with you on the show notes. So not so much that, but what is your message to our listeners in terms of when and how to connect with you? You know, who should come to see you and how they should look for you? Sure. I would say if you're an entrepreneur and you own your own business and you couldn't stand up with your peers and say, I am an expert in X, whatever your particular area. So I'm an expert voice coach. If you cannot stand up and say that without blushing, without feeling a red flush go up your neck, without feeling like your throat's going to close over, I would suggest that you cannot do that in front of a client. And I would suggest that you cannot state your prices without feeling a little bit uncomfortable and if that's the case, then that's going to be affecting your bottom line. So if you want to feel like you're really embracing your expertise and then that your body, your body language, your breath, your voice, the words that you use are really congruently behind that idea, then I'm somebody that can genuinely help you feel much more comfortable. Find that authentic voice so that you can talk really confidently and comfortably with your potential clients and change that into business and that with a much greater consistency. Fabulous. And how do you work? Do you, is it always one-to-one or do you have group works? With that one, with the, so the, the program is called The Art of a Great Pitch. So that's selling yourself and your ideas. And that's a group program. And it's a group program deliberately because I want entrepreneurs to be able to see, oh, wow, she's doing it like that. And it's amazing. I mean, it's not like me. I couldn't do it like that because I'm not as extrovert or introverted or whatever it might be as her, or I don't swear as much as she does. You know, I've got lots of clients who swear liberally and others who kind of go, oh, no, you know, you've got to be you. So it's really good to look around the room and see, oh, she does it brilliantly. I'm getting praise as well. I'm getting good feedback. So I can be me. So the reason we do that in a group is the support that you get and just seeing mm. the different conversations that people have, the different solutions that they might have to how people deal with objections and how they deal with that inner critic quietening or the mental building. So group in that scenario is really, really important. Okay. Is there any cohort opening soon? Yeah. So we have one opening at the end of November, actually. It's an eight-week run. So we do a month before Christmas and a month after Christmas so that by the end of January 23, you are up, ready, out there talking about your product, talking to your clients with real confidence, certainty, and credibility, So, which is what your customer, your potential customers really want from you. Mm. Fabulous. Thank you very much, Emma. Now, my last question, which will bring us back to what we were talking about, about seeing the positive and owning the positive. You know, the name of this podcast is She's Awesome. And my kind of signature question is, 
Emma, why are you awesome? I'm awesome because I've lived my process. So I had a period in my life where I totally lost my voice. I totally lost my ability to speak up. I had five miscarriages in a row and it was pretty horrific. And I just didn't know who I was and didn't know how to speak up. And I have been through the process of voice coaching when I did my master's degree in voice coaching and training. And it was utterly transformational. So I really feel like I'm awesome because I've lived that. I know the process works. So when I speak to clients, when I talk to them, when I talk to any women, I can say, I know this works and I know it can work for you because I've seen how low somebody can be, how much they've disconnected with their authentic voice and how it's possible to totally reconnect that and completely change what your life looks like and what your potential is. You are awesome, Emma, definitely. And it was a great, great session. I loved every single bit of it. So much key takeaways and so much empowering things that you shared with us. Thank you so much for being here, for coming and being awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Well, my friend, thank you for listening to this She Is Awesome podcast. If you want to share your extraordinary story and dare to inspire others, send an email to hello at academyweed.com. You can find the email address in the show notes. Well, let's meet here again next week. Take care. Bye now.